Hi, and welcome to the Online Performance Podcast, the podcast that aims to elevate your online earnings. My name is Jason Mills, and my guest today has earned over $600,000 on Upwork as a freelance graphic designer. She's a consultant to help freelancers grow, and I'm really thrilled to have her on today's podcast. Uh, Big welcome to Morgan Overholt. Great to have you here, Morgan. Thank you so much for having me, Jason. I appreciate it. Absolutely. Uh, well, in a minute, I'm going to ask you uh, to just give us a bit of a background as to, as to yourself, a little bit more than what I've said there. Um, but I like to start off each podcast with the same question, and that question is, what is online success? So what does that mean to you? <laughs> okay, I was going to say, what is online success? Or I, I liked how you added the additional qualifier, what does it mean to me? Because I'm a really big proponent of reminding people that success is individual for every person, right? Success, though, I guess for me, um, specifically, would just be able to have freedom. That's real success. To no longer have to worry about, um, you know, one person having control over all of my income and my livelihood. Um, to not have to get up every morning and work the same job from nine to five. I mean, no offense, you know, nine to five jobs are also great, but that was not my personal journey and not what I like to do. I like to get up in the morning and think, hmm, can I go to the gym? Can if I want to. Don't want to like take off and do a day trip somewhere. Can if I want to. Like that's yeah. personal success to me, and not having to worry about every little penny. It's fascinating because I think I've. I think this is the seventh interview I've done so far for this podcast, and everyone freedom has come up a, a couple of times, uh, but everyone has had a kind of a different view of it. Um, and I think mine is quite aligned to yours as well. I think that the freedom aspect of it is, is absolutely key. Did you used to work a nine to five job? Have you always been a, a, a freelancer? You know, the thing, I use the term nine to five because that's what everybody calls it. I had a salary job. Yes. Yeah. Uh, but it was, I've actually technically never worked nine to five, but I did have a, a normal salary job. Okay, so that's probably a nice segue then into you giving us a bit more into your background. So just, yeah, give us kind of an overview as to, I suppose, from the kind of college years as to how you got to where you are now. Yeah, absolutely. Well, um, I always like to start with a story of just exactly uh, what brought me to being an entrepreneur because I did not grow up in an entrepreneur-minded family. I grew up in the family that was like, you go to college, achieve college, because we can't afford anything fancy. And <laughs> you better have a scholarship, by the way. <laughs> community college the whole way um, and get a normal job. I mean, that was what you did. Um, all this like working for yourself stuff, unheard of. So my, my to contrast, my husband, he came from a family of entrepreneurs and we used to have like serious fights about the topic, um, which is hilarious because today when I do a podcast like this or I, or I coach people, you know, they always say, oh, you're such a freelance fangirl. Well, man, for years, that was not me. For years, I told my husband, he was crazy. Like, I look, you know, I'll admit, I even maybe look down on people if they said, oh, I'm a freelancer or I work for myself or an entrepreneur. I'm like, sure you do. <laughs> that's, that's good for unemployed. I totally get it. Now I am that person. So the universe has a great sense of humor, right? Uh, but it took me... Um, and to be clear, I've always believed in freelance to some degree, right? Like all through college and all through working that corporate job, I was always freelancing on the side, but I just saw, always saw it as supplemental and rather than something I could rely on, which drove my husband insane because all he saw was potential. He's like, why are we sitting back just collecting these checks that you're not even barely trying for? What if you tried? We could, you know, but anyway. Um, and it took for me, for me, it took honestly just like getting so angry at my day job that I lost my mind one day <laughs> after, after years of torment and even trying to switch careers and, and switch companies and always blaming it on this or that or whatever. Um, I, I finally kind of came to the realization that I, I wasn't going to thrive in, in that kind of environment. I'm too much of a lone wolf. I'm, I'm too ambitious, you know, as my, as my previous employer said, uh, too ambitious, too bossy, perhaps, you know. Um, and uh, one day I just had too much of it and I rage quit. I mean, I learned I didn't do a two week notice or anything. I, I wow. should have. I, I tell people not to. It's definitely a do as I say, not as I do situation. Don't rage quit. But I rage quit. I walked in, said, mm, I'm out. Bye. And never went back. <laughs> wow. Um, so, yeah, uh, after rage quitting, I um, I realized I had to make money. And, of course, you know, my husband always encouraged me to do the freelance thing. And 
And I was making, you know, money at the time as a side hustle doing freelance. So I decided it was time to explore what if I started really relying on myself and building up that freelance business. And within about three months of, of rage quitting, I was able to replace that salary that I was making, you know, equivalent, you know, income to that salary I was making. And about three months after that, the six month mark, I had, I had doubled it essentially. So um, yeah, and rigging my freedom. So it's a big deal to me. Yeah. And that's the point, isn't it? Where you're like, why didn't I do this 12 months earlier or three, three years earlier? Um, exactly. so do you think it was, it, was it building to that point then, you know, obviously you said there's obviously some kind of catalyst that caused you to rage quit, but you were already side hustling and freelancing and had some income coming in. So there yep. was, but the, but there was one kind of distinct <clears throat> thing that kind of pushed you over the edge. I mean, it was a slow buildup of a lot of things. Um, you know, at the time, like I'd mentioned, I, I had uh, changed careers even a few times, trying to like find happiness. I am a designer by trade. I am. I went to college for computer science and design, so that's not my degrees. And um, I, I, I had even switched uh, to being a, a. This is going to sound crazy, but I was a designer for a a home shopping type network. Um, and so I had the opportunity to like audition to be an online or um, a T on TV, like on air host. Yeah. Um, and I thought, Oh, that's where the money is. That's where I'll find my happiness. I'll probably be taken seriously. So I even did that for a couple of years. And, um, but the underlying theme I noticed through all of it, no matter what I did, no matter what career I was in, I just felt like I was deeply disrespected. Um, and that my performance seemed to matter, seemed to matter less, or I'm sorry, my, my performance mattered less than, my ability to politic or my appearance, like especially when I had the TV job, I remember very distinctly one day I had this like record show, right? And you know, in our our network, our network it was all about meeting your goals and all that stuff. And and I had like the biggest show I'd ever had there, like absolutely stellar. I, I mean, it's the kind of show that you're like someone's gonna bring a trophy out to me. They'd be like, "You're amazing, good job." And instead, the second I got off the air, I got a text that was like, "We need to talk about your hair." Well, I didn't like it today. And I'm just like, like, I feel like my eye twitching, you know? Yeah. yeah. Um, so it was kind of, it was, it was a buildup of those sorts of comments. Mm -hmm. and, and, and every time, and every time I did would reach my goals from performance in, in any career I had, I feel like the goalpost was just constantly being moved to some arbitrary number. So um, I, I just, yeah, I got, I got tired of it. One morning, it was just some of those antics had just piled up a little bit too high. And uh, it was just a straw that broke the camel's back. Um, so yeah, yeah. And I think a lot of us go through that, don't we? You know, you, it, how, how you make that jump from employment to freelance. Uh, and they do say, don't they, that, you know, entrepreneurs make the worst employees. So, yeah. you know, you, you potentially are an entrepreneur before you realize you're an entrepreneur. And I want to dig into that in a little bit and get into Morgan, the entrepreneur and the mindset and kind of what it is that's made you successful since you made that jump. Because like you said, I think, and again, the first goal for a lot of people is getting to that point, isn't it, where you replace your salary. And then obviously, like you said, you did that relatively quickly in three months, and then in another three months, you doubled it. So so I want to dig into all of that, but I really want to start off by exploring your Upwork career, because that's where you've kind of had a lot of success. Uh, you know, you've got this kind of big figure that you've earned on on, on Upwork, just up through Upwork, which is pretty phenomenal, really, for, for one person. So I really want to dig into that. So um, so can you, first of all, for anyone that's listening that doesn't know what Upwork is, there, there may well be people that don't, just give us a bit of an overview as to what it, what it actually is and what it entails. At the risk of sounding like a marketing uh, person, Upwork is the world's largest online marketplace for freelancers and professionals. Um, it's not a job site. I want to make that really clear. I think it's a, um, um, a common misperception or, or, or incorrect perception, I'll say, about uh, the platform because it really is mostly geared toward freelancers. Like I know that they have in recent years done, started doing more work to hire and that kind of stuff just to kind of expand. But at its core, it's really built to be a place for clients who need to find specialized help or perhaps part-time help or temp help or scalable help, whatever the case may be. Um, people to fill holes in their in their staff and freelancers who are looking, you know, for gig-based work, you know. Um, 
So it's really kind of almost like a, a meeting place for those two things to happen. A lot of times I compare it to almost like a dating site, you know, yeah. uh, because there is a certain uh, sort of transaction, a personal transaction that, that takes place, a certain uh, matchmaking, if you will. And I think that's kind of the, the way to look at Upwork. But yeah, it was a really great asset for me. Um, I also want to say for everybody listening, just because I'm going to be talking a lot about Upwork in this podcast, doesn't mean that it's like the end all be all. I personally tried a bunch of different platforms when I first started all of this and I made some money on some, I made no money on others. It doesn't mean that any one is better than any other one. This just happened to be the one that really worked for me. So I don't, don't be like, Oh, I'm not going to try Fiverr anymore because I'm working since you made all the money on Upwork. I'm not going to do this. Try them all and see what works for you. Yeah. And I suppose that, I mean, Upwork is a place where, there's there's an a, a, you know a wide range of different services that are provided or that are advertised and searched on that platform uh so i suppose it is it is one that a lot of people go to and get a lot of early success with so is it is so you you just said there that's kind of is that where you kind of replaced your salary through upwork and maybe some other um sites as well it was about half, yeah. I always say you represented at least half to sixty percent of my income um, at, at the height of it. Um, of course, when I when I rage quit, and, and this is another tip that I always tell people, and it kind of goes hand in hand with what I just said a couple of seconds ago. Um, when you are looking to build a, a freelance business, or probably any kind of business, honestly, but I can speak to freelance business, you really need to put it out there, right? Like what your goals are. And I know it's cliche, but because they always say, oh, put what you want out into the universe. But that doesn't mean just, you know, getting up in the morning and speaking positive affirmations, which I'm sure is helpful. But that means to me, emailing your entire network, you know, email your whole every client you've ever worked with in the past. If you have any freelance experience, let all your friends and family know what's up. Let them know what you're doing, what you need, what you look for. Sign up for every marketplace, every platform, every opportunity. For me, I really had to uh, essentially cast a really wide net and kind of figure out what would work and what would bring in the most. So for me, personally, the two revenue streams that work the best were that personal referral network because I had been working with some clients on the side yeah. and just the action of saying, hey, will you please let me know if you have any additional work for me at this time? I just started full time on this. Or do you know anybody that has additional work? I just started full time on this. That was majorly helpful. Um, and then on Upwork, I found major success. Um, and I found major success, I personally think, by being really honest and really candid on the platform. Um, it was a, a scary thing to do because everyone said, oh, it's a race to the bottom. So for an experienced designer like myself, mm. I mean, back then, this is like five years ago, but I was making 75 bucks an hour um, you know, on the side, like my normal client. So to go to Upwork and be like, wait, do I have to lower my rate? Or now I'm nobody. These people don't know me from Adam. I have to prove myself. I think I think personally, I'll put myself on the back for this, but I think personally, I did a good job of just saying in my proposals, hey, I'm new here, but I'm not new to this industry. Mm. And I can prove I'm really good at what I do. So if you take a chance on me, I'll hook you up. You know, like, I think I, did, I think I think I'd like to think I did a good job saying that. Um, and, and I think that honesty is probably the best policy. And that's probably one of the many things that got me to where I am today on the platform. Yeah, I agree. And I think that kind of leads me into my next question, which is, first of all, do you still see Upwork as being a viable place for someone who is just getting into freelance to go? And then for those people that are thinking of doing that, uh, what tips do you have? Because obviously you just kind of mentioned there, when you start out, you have no record on there. There's no reviews. And and for someone, you know, I mean, I, I use Upwork to find in fact I've, I've been on there today and and filled out a, a job um request and obviously you know you get flooded with with applicants so how difficult is that for someone to stand out and, and what tips would you have for someone just starting out well jason it, i'm glad to know that you are also an upwork client because you know exactly what i know you get flooded with proposals but how many of those proposals are decent I mean, honestly. Yeah, like, absolutely, N and not not that many, uh, and and that's that's the that, that's the downside as a you know someone who's using the platform to to search and short because the shortlisting for me the shortlisting is the part that takes the longest. Mm -hmm. So I think if you can stand out within those first couple of sentences, that's probably you know that's what gets my attention anyway. Um, 
Yeah, and, and then the attention to detail in that proposal. So I kind of liked what you said there when you said, you know, I, I, I was honest, I stood my ground, I, I didn't devalue myself. I think there's a lot to be said for that. Mm-hmm. And, and I think there's a lot to be, it's exactly what Jason just said, and I wanted to kind of make sure that, you know, for everybody listening, that you heard that from both him and I, because I said the exact same thing. Like when I'm a client on Upwork, and by the way, if you really want like a total hack here, um, and really kind of get like a feel for what these clients are looking for, be a client first, maybe even mm. or be a client really early on. It's really easy to add a client account onto your current freelancer account and just have them do some simple job or just think of something, whatever. You know, if, if yeah. it's like um, just a fake job, I'm not fake, you know, like having to do something, but like go through the process, you know what I'm talking about? And, and you will see what we're seeing because I'm seeing exactly what he just mentioned. I'm seeing like when I post a job, I have maybe 40 people who apply and out of those 40 candidates, only maybe three or four have actually sent me a proposal that's even worth replying to. So the competition is not that stiff if you just try a little bit. If you, every time you apply for a job, you are acknowledging details in the job post. I see way too many copy and pasted and unedited AI proposals and no one cares about. They just, they sound and read like a robot. You haven't mentioned anything that I talked about in my job post. I want a applicant who says they can confidently do the job with no questions. And even better, if you can provide proof that you've done a similar job for somebody else, whether it be a portfolio on Upwork or off Upwork or an attachment or what have you, you need to be able to show that, yeah, I know what I'm doing. Um, and don't, 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 when you, and by the way, when you're doing these things, don't use terms like, oh, I think I can do this. I can probably do this. It is, I will, I can, I know, I've done this in my sleep, whatever, I got you. Those are the kinds of things that your proposals need to be saying to people. And there are so very few people on the platform today that are doing those things or even effectively doing those things, the competition isn't nearly as stiff as what everybody else seems to think it is. So if I think the base question, I feel like I've got off at a table a little bit, Jason, but I believe the, the base question was, is it viable today? Yes. In fact, I think even more viable than it's ever been as unfortunately as a client, to me at least, I perceive that the platform is being more flooded with lazy people on an ongoing basis, on a daily basis, especially with the advent of, you know, AI and those things that people just looking to make a quick buck online, you know? I think people like myself, people who are targeting it well and coming to the platform with real skills, I think it's like our heyday. Yeah, no, I, I agree. Um, and and those, those high quality applications really do stand out. They really do, like by a mile. Uh, so, in those early days, did you spend a lot of time putting proposals together? I imagine you know you must have spent a good chunk of your day, you know, doing that. And, oh, yeah. and, and, and I suppose you still do. You still you still go to those lengths, even though you have this incredible rating yeah, and record. I have to. That's the beauty. Like yeah. it's, it's almost. Um, I don't want to give away my, geek, my show my geek card here, but I'll, I'll go ahead. <laughs> but I play a lot of like board games, you know, um, and there's like a, there's this type of board game called an engine builder or even a deck builder where you're putting in the groundwork really on, really onto the game to like win the game in the end and it gets easier as you go. Or, or if you want to speak on a very, very basic level, it's like owning, you know, instead of owning Baltic, you own, you know, a boardwalk, you know, you're, you're trying to put in all that legwork really early on in the game so that the more times you go around the board or like the more, you know, uh, phases you get to in the game, it becomes easier, and all of a sudden, that your effort is making it has 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 planted a seed that starts working for you over time. So yeah, it's a lot, a lot of effort in those early weeks. So if you ask me about how how much effort I put into it back then, uh, a ton. I mean, when I first joined Upwork, I was probably sending in at least three to five to sometimes more proposals every single day. Um, and I, I changed my strategy up a little bit every time. If I wasn't seeing success or if I did see success somewhere, I'll double down on that strategy and keep reiterating constantly until I found something that was kind of working for me or an approach that was kind of working for me. And that's the other mis- And that's one of the biggest mistakes that people are making, by the way, is that they they treat they treat Upwork like a, like a passing New Year's resolution. You know, I'm sure everybody so we were recording this uh, in early January. And I'm sure that there's like a lot of people this year who were like, this is the year I'm going to yeah. start going to the gym. 
and like half of y'all are going to drop out, you know, like next week. <laughs> you know, I mean, not to like judge, I've been that person too in the past, but I think a lot of people kind of treat Upwork like that. They get on and they go to like, they apply for three or four jobs, they don't get any answers, and they're like, well, I don't have Upwork abs after like going three times. So like this thing doesn't work. <laughs> you know, and it's like the same thing that all those people are like, like you wouldn't say that about going to the gym. You go for a week, you're not gonna be a bodybuilder, right? You have to put real time and effort into that. But I promise it gets easier. Like for instance, today I turn down jobs more often than I accept them. I haven't had to apply for a job in over a year. I just, in fact, half the time I leave my profile turned completely off and I still get invites somehow. Like, it's crazy how much easier it is. I'd have killed for that easiness or that level of ease back in the day. Yeah. So once you've done that kind of front loading, the platform does a lot of the heavy lifting for you, I guess. Yeah. You know, a bit like YouTube where you find the right audience, you get the, you know, the followers and enough view time on your videos, and then it pushes your content out to more people. Upwork is working in a similar kind of way. And it's not just Upwork, by the way, because that's absolutely true what you just said. It is Upwork's algorithm, but additionally, it's your own engine that you built with your own Upwork clients. And this is something I feel like people don't even think about. Mm -hmm. Referral networks are so very strong, right? And I'm talking about like building a referral network like the old-fashioned way. And I'm talking about, you know, the livable blog way. I'm sure there's a programmatic way to do it too. Great. But the way that I did it is that every time I finished a job on Upwork or, or in real life, um, I would always finish it out by saying two things. One, please leave me a five-star review. I didn't say leave me a good review, leave me a review, leave me a five-star review yeah, because it is pertinent to my, it's helped my ability to win future jobs and be successful on this platform. I put a little social pressure on them. But I also say make sure to keep in mind for future projects or refer me to your friends if they have any similar needs. And just by saying those two things at the close of every engagement, it's incredible because they tell their friends. So in the future, if like, you know, their friends, oh, I, I love your ebook that Morgan, or I love your ebook that you got done. How did you do that? Oh, I have this freelancer called Morgan. Well, then I do like an ebook for that friend and that friend has two other friends. And it's amazing. It grows like, it grows like branches on a tree. And, and so that you've got both the Upwork algorithm working for you as well as your client referral network working for you. And that's the way I'm just inundated today. Like, I mean, honestly, today, especially as I've become more, more focused more on content creation as well and blogging and coaching, I'm scaling back the actual freelance graphic design work. And we even had to kind of let some of my clients go and, and only keep just a handful of those core people because I have more work and more leads and more referrals than, than I'll ever need. That's, that's fascinating. Uh, so really, I mean, I, the next question I was going to ask, which I feel like I already know the answer to, uh, was how, how are you competing against uh, Upworkers that are in, you know, uh, countries with uh, lower cost of living that obviously have lower rates of pay. But I feel like you just, you, you know, I already know the answer, I feel, but I'll let you answer. <laughs> you know, it's interesting. Well, you might, I think you kind of know the answer, so I'll give you a surprising answer um, versus the one you're going to expect. I say they're saying the same thing about y'all. <laughs> and I can tell you this because I coach people from all over the world, literally all over the world. Um, and when I, it never fails that whenever I talk to a U.S. freelancer, they always pose that exact same question that you, you posed. Yeah. What about the people who are doing this for $10 in Nigeria? And when I speak to a Nigerian freelancer, they always say, what about the people who only want to hire U.S. based talent? Yeah. <laughs> yeah. So it's just so funny to me that both groups are so concerned about one another. You know, both things can simultaneously exist. I've seen very successful US freelancers that charge $200 an hour in their respective niches or more. I have seen Nigerian freelancers who are able to charge very, very high prices and be successful. I've seen Nigerian freelancers who charge, who are pretty cheap and actually uh, pretty surprisingly successful because again, there is a lid for every pot. Yes, are there clients that exist that prefer to hire only US-based talent? 100%. Are there clients who prefer just to hire a bunch of like, you know, cheap labor? Yeah. And both things can be true. And I think that we're off, we're, I think we're in a better place when we just focus on finding our clients and the people who are looking for us. Um, I know my clients are people who are probably looking for a higher end person who can answer more, can, can, can be more of a concierge or offer more of a concierge level service who can take care of their business versus just, you know, some run of the mill, quick, 
stuff that you know they can they can easily scale up or farm out or that anybody can do i know that's the kind of client that i'm looking for so you spend more time thinking about if you're listening to me today you spend more time thinking about your clients versus all the other people that you you wouldn't want to take on anyway you don't if you're if you're a freelancer like me you don't want those cheap clients let them hire whoever they want quit worried about them you worry about you you and your stuff and your clients Absolutely. Yeah. yeah i suppose everything you do then you position yourself towards that ideal client yeah. and you know you probably have an avatar for for what they would look like so, uh, um, put, put it, i will say think about it like in almost in terms of a relationship right don't think about like a romantic relationship let's say don't be like, well, you know, what about the men who only like, like short women, you know, like, or okay. what about the men that only like tall women? Okay. Well, great. But there's going to be a lot of men who like the opposite, you know what I'm saying? It's Whereby because there's more demand, you can increase your rates. Is that kind of how you do it? Because obviously you, it would just make sense to do that, surely. Yeah, absolutely. You scale as you go. I would say that the best time to raise your rates are when you're super busy, you know, you should get nothing to lose. Yeah. So if you find yourself with uh, a ton of work coming in, then that's definitely the time for, to be like, all right, now I'm going to pop another 20, 30, 40, 50 on that. And every single new contract that comes in is going to be paying that rate. And even periodically, make sure that you're raising your rates on your own existing clientele as well. I, I don't I don't like to do it mid-project. I think it's a little, you know, scary. Yeah. But like I find a good, like, you know, stopping point. Uh, or, or if it's like an ongoing contract where it's annually, I try to do it like once a year or something like that, or even every other year if you're making like significant jumps. But yeah, constantly raise your, uh, constantly be looking at your rates. Um, I, I always hear the, the the classic sales guys say the following, and I think it's really true that if you're getting too many yeses, it's probably a bad sign. Um, you, know, you do want some no's. You want like a decent rejection rate because then you know maybe your rate's in the right place. If you're getting all yeses. Your rate's probably a little bit too low. You know, I think it's also a good uh, mindset. Absolutely. And you've got, you have got a hundred percent rating on Upwork, haven't you? Which is incredible considering how much work you, you've done on there. So how is that possible? I mean, you know, I suppose you've said you ask for the five star reviews. That's one part of it. I suppose it's deliver, you know, making sure you do deliver, but there's always someone isn't there? Surely there's always someone who's going to leave a, a dodgy review, no matter how good you, you, you know, the content that you've produced is. Yeah. I mean, sure. Like early on, I had more of those than I have today, you know, cause I'm a lot more picky about the people I take on. So like, again, my, the clients I'm looking for are not going to treat me that way. Um, but yeah, I mean, early on, I literally had a guy who hired me up work and said, Oh, I'm going on a two week cruise tomorrow and my team's going to work with you. I'm gone. And they're going to tell you everything I, I want. And actually, I'll never take on a job like that ever again yeah. because because he left and was unavailable. Um, I couldn't couldn't call him. He had no cell service, and apparently his Wi-Fi was off. His team had no idea why I'd been hired. They literally did not know. And the kind of panic that ran through my body was just like, like what? Wait, what? So, so <laughs> they were they were. I was assured they'd have all the details. <laughs> so, and uh, they just kind of were like, well, I don't know, let's just take a guess. And, and we just sort of worked on like what we thought that he wanted me to work on for a couple of weeks. And of course, when he get back, he was upset because it wasn't what he wanted. <laughs> I was like, you know, uh, he didn't leave me a great review, but it wasn't my fault. You know, but the thing is that I, I recovered from that. You know, um, again, it was early on. You don't have to have, again, don't worry so much about like the one person that might sink you, you know. Definitely try to avoid that one person because it's frustrating and they will rob you mentally just as much as anything else. Um, just the stress alone is not worth it. So get really good at like worrying about those or looking out for those red flags. But worry about the the situations that you you can help instead of the situations that you, you really can't like do anything about, you know, because like this happens, right? Because <laughs> the podcast, but like like stuff happens. Um, and, and I, I, I just try to spend most of my time worrying about the 99% of the clients who were good and reasonable and doing an excellent job for them and being like their go-to person and helping them make money and find success in their companies and, you know, and get their projects done. And, and I, I worried more about that. And I think that's leading to my excellent job success score. And, and remember two people, that job success score is not just based on your five-star reviews on your profile. That is also based on the private feedback that clients are prompted to leave every single time we close out a job. So we, and I, I see this all the time from people who are like, well, I have all five-star reviews and my job success score is like 50%, what gives? 
Well, that means more than likely, even though Upwork does not reveal the exact equation they use to calculate that, but if I was a betting woman, I'd bet good money, that that means your clients are put leaving a leaving a private job success score or a private review much lower. They're saying, I would not rehire this person. This didn't work out. I didn't quite like it. They're leaving you a five-star review. I mean, heck, even honestly, as a client, I've even kind of, you know, left kind of done that before too. Maybe the quality of work wasn't very good, but I know they tried, maybe they oversold their services. I might say probably would not hire again or unlikely to hire again, but leave them a five-star review because I didn't want to hurt their feelings. So that is happening. <laughs> Absolutely. So that's probably taking your else job success scores as well. Okay. Let's, uh, let's switch uh, tracks a little bit then. You've... You've now moved over into consultancy, so you you offer this as a service as well. Obviously, you're still doing the upwork and still doing your own gigs, but then you've moved over into the the consultancy side of things. And you said you're working with clients all over the world. Mm-hmm. What was the what was the kind of catalyst for that? Well, the funny thing is, it still is, it represents a very small portion of my business, you know. Um, but the catalyst was just again demand. I, I approached this in. in all everything that I do, if I'm getting asked for something, uh, if I get asked for it multiple times, I usually find a way yeah. to deliver. <laughs> you know, whether it be a new platform or a new program that I've got to learn, or a new style that I need to learn, or you know. And in my case, um, because I had, you know, I, I had gotten picked up in a couple of publications, like Business Insider featured me, Refinery Twenty Nine featured me. I even got mentioned in Parade. Um, the same publication as like Dolly Parton was mentioned, like at the same like articles. I was like, oh my gosh, like my name is like next to Dolly Parton. It's so amazing. <laughs> like this thing about like entrepreneurship. Okay. Um, but I had had people contacting me because of some of those mentions and wanting me to kind of like give them advice. Um, so I just started out with me like writing a couple of articles on my then portfolio website. I wasn't a blogger back then, but I just wrote a couple of articles just to, just to like give to people so they could be quicker than me doing a private, you know, thing every single time. And then people started asking for more. They're like, yeah, but I want to talk to you. And then I realized all right, I can't just sit around and talk to people all day for free. I'd love to because I'm a love, I love to talk. Y'all can tell I'm a big chatterbox, but I, I can't do that for free because, you know, I'll take up a little, yeah. it would just fill up my entire calendar, you know. Um, so that's when I started offering kind of one-on-one consulting, um, which I just kind of book both on Upwork and directly. You can go to morganoverhold.com slash shop and just look for my one-on-one consults if, consults if you want to book one with me. I also have a Patreon. Um, it's not crazy active, but I do offer a cheaper way just to have a quick uh, direct line of communication there with me. Um, and then eventually that even led to my first and only um, Upwork course, which people kept asking for as well, which is a really nice midpoint between like, all right, maybe I don't want to pay for a full hour of consulting or it's a little about my budget. Here's a really cheap 40 minute course I could take on my lunch break and you know superpower my proposals and my Upwork strategies. So I offered that as well. Speaking of which, I don't know if it's yeah, let's plug it. Let's plug it. We've, we've got a little offer here, haven't we? I, I did bring gifts. I mean, I'm no Oprah, so it's not a car, guys. But <laughs> everybody gets a discount. You get a discount. You get a discount. I, I did make a, a coupon code for my course, uh, and it is Upwork Proposal Writing as a boot camp for Upwork Proposal Writing. Um, and the discount code is Affiliate School Twenty. Affiliate Ooh, School Twenty. You get twenty percent off. It's only a twenty dollars course anyway. It's like nineteen ninety five. So you get twenty percent yeah. off that. Now, let's be honest, that's cheaper than your DoorDash order for lunch today. And something it's, a, it's a no-brainer. It's an absolute okay. no-brainer. We'll, we'll leave all the, the links and the codes and everything in the show notes and the description below. So uh, make sure you do go and check that out. Uh, it sounds fantastic. I mean, just from what you've said already, you've clearly got a lot of experience, a lot of passion, and you've, you've got kind of, you've even given us some little hacks today. So I imagine there's some little gold nuggets in there. Oh, yeah. My favorite part of the course um, is I do exactly what we just talked about earlier. I actually post a job on Upwork and then I take screenshots of that job and a lot of the applications I receive. So you can see the kinds of proposals, what a proposal looks like from the client end, like how a proposal, how, how a client's going through proposals, um, mistakes people are making. So it's, it's really kind of like a behind the scenes look. So if you, if you don't have time or patience to create your own client account, it's a, it's a cool way to kind of see behind the scenes. Absolutely. Yes. Make sure you do go and check that out, guys. Right. We're going to completely move away from Upwork now. And I want to focus on Morgan Overholt, the the person. So I suppose actually we'll, we'll start off with personal brand because I suppose that links probably quite well to what we've just talked about there with the course. You know, uh, the question I suppose is, you know, why have a personal brand? What benefits does it have? Because I, I, I imagine you've, you've, 
spent a fair amount of time starting to build your personal brand. Uh, just tell us a little bit about that. I mean, where, where are you at in terms of that process now? Like you just said, that's your first ever course. Uh, mm-hmm. So, yeah. you, you know, you're obviously at a point now where, you know, you've got a decent following, you've got people asking for that, like you said. So, uh, yeah, how, how long have you been building the personal brand? I mean, that's, that's a good question. I don't know, because I, I never sought out to build a personal brand. Yeah, no, um, does. <laughs> it's probably just been happening. I don't know. The day I was born, I'm not really sure. Like, yeah. I, don't, I, I never I never meant to do any of that. Um, you know, today, it's I can say I try because I say yes to a lot more podcasts. I mean, if you want to call that trying, but I don't even reach out to people. It's usually people reaching out to me. I've been fortunate in that way. But again, it's kind of like that referral network that I was just talking about with clients. It works the same way with my personal brand. Yeah. You know, the more you put yourself out there, the more people hear about you, then the more people want to talk to you, you know, and it is kind of, it's a self-growing thing that after you get to a certain point, it's, you know, it just kind yeah, of because, you know, I mean, there is a point, particularly at the beginning. I mean, like you said, you're not necessarily built thinking that you're building a personal brand, but there's a lot of effort. You know, it is a lot of effort to come on and do a podcast and then do another one and be on Twitter every day and Instagram and TikTok and all these places that we're told we should be. It, you know, it's, it's a lot of work. So if you didn't get anything from it, then it pretty much would be pointless unless you... But, you know, you're getting something else from it that's not financial. I suppose there's that aspect to it as well. But yeah, I think I think it's fascinating. So where where are you most active in terms of that? I know you're not building a personal brand, but in terms of your profiles, where where are you focusing mainly? As far as my uh, not built personal brand is yeah. concerned, I'm probably <laughs> most active. Um, on my blog, which is morganoblehold.com slash blog, um, and, my, and Twitter, um, to be frank. I, I wish I need, I need to be more active, and, and YouTube is my long-term goal. I did it a little bit last year, and, and I don't know, I didn't really fall into a groove. I'd like to do that eventually, but right now I'd say probably my blog and Twitter. And, and do you do a lot of kind of offline relationship building uh, from a, you know, a, a work point of view? Obviously, you've got clients but maybe from the the personal brand side as well. Do you do do you go to events or network or anything like that? None. None. <laughs> so literally, it's, everything is online because you are you you seem a very sociable. Like you 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 said it yourself. You're very talkative. So, but you because because you know this entrepreneurial lifestyle can be very very lonely. I mean, that's where my introvertism comes comes in. Is introvertism a word? My my introvert. Yeah, it is now. Uh, <laughs> That's, you know, I, I don't feel the need to do that. In fact, usually after I get through with like a day of podcasting and blogging or whatever, yeah. I have to crash and watch Dateline yeah. for four hours. Like, I mean, <laughs> no, I'm with you there. Yeah. <laughs> it's funny. So I, I will say, you know, and I think I kind of said this in the beginning, of, I'll reiterate quickly don't rule anything out when you are going into any kind of an entrepreneur career. Because when I, when I very first started full-time freelance, I actually was signing up for like conventions and, yeah. you know, I'm doing more like in-person talks and that kind of stuff. But the funny thing is it's just, again, did not really pan out for me. Like I got like one client out of all mm-hmm. of that, just some money and time. And I'm just like, Ugh, whatever, you know? And, and I also just happened to see, because I was in Miami at the time, a lot of people just going to like networking events, but they're just going out and getting drunk. And yeah. <laughs> I just, I mean, I just felt like online, I was more directly targeting clients who were looking yeah. for me. You know, yeah. I, I was skipping all the like small talk and all the, oh, are you looking for somebody? I don't have to ask that question on Upwork. They're, they are looking for somebody, you know? So it's just a lot more targeted. So I personally found that I, I was more successful just online, um, going exactly to where I knew the fish were biting. Um, but, you know, if you are, you know, a kind of person that thrives on more in, in-person interactions or you enjoy that, or perhaps you you have a, you know of a specific meetup or convention where, you know, you know the fish are biting, like don't rule it out just because it's not something that I do. I tried it and I, like I didn't get a leads from it. So I stuck to online personally. Yeah. Helped. I think in terms of lead generation, I think the ROI on even just social media, if you put it all into that bucket, I think is is so much more, isn't it? Um, and I, I did that as well when I my 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 initial when I came out of full time employment, to, it was it was to freelance, and I did exactly the same thing. And I was going to these things, and I just felt like I also felt a bit sleazy, like salesy, and I didn't want to do that. So I probably wasn't being pushy enough. But then other people were doing that, and it just it didn't really feel particularly nice. Uh, whereas I think on social media, we're kind of 
we're all we're always giving value and then maybe asking occasionally, but it's generally about giving back, but then you benefit from that as well. So yeah, I, I think I'm kind of with you on that one. Um, plus, do you think- uh, you, I was gonna say, you, plus you can do more due diligence online. Yeah. In person, you don't always have the time um, or ability to quickly like, right, I'm gonna quickly Google this person and their company and see, you know, to like learn more about- <laughs> yeah. It's a bit rude. <laughs> versus like on the internet, I could take my time, I could be more picky, mm. I could think about things. So yeah, I also kind of like that component of it too. So obviously you did have a salaried job initially. Uh, do you think you've always been an entrepreneur or do you think that's something that you, because you said like your background was very much your, your family and that side of things, your influences were not necessarily pushing you down that direction, whereas your husband, it was probably the, the opposite of that. So how how have you managed to get to this point now where you do have, or, or do you still struggle with that side of it? Is it, do you feel like a pretend entrepreneur <laughs> or no, what is no. it? How, how have you gone from one side to the other side of the spectrum? Well, you know, I, I always, I always tell a story about how my husband, and I had this like giant fire before I, I when, 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 right before I, I switched my jobs for the last time because he was getting mad at me because I kept, uh, I kept thinking, okay, I'm going to switch my job and not bring me happiness. This job will be better, you know? And, I, and every time I did that, he's like, you'll be happier if you work for yourself. And I just I so didn't believe it that we, we would get in such a fight. We would even like, we'd go to bed in opposite rooms, not talking to each other. Because that's how hardcore I was raised to believe that you have a normal job, you have a normal path, you know. And it took me getting furious and just getting totally fed up to even consider it. So it took years of him just pestering me about it, you know. Uh, it's a me getting so fed up and just being like, you know what, screw it. I'm just going to go for it. And I did it at the most inopportune time too, because my husband is also in between jobs. He was just like, now of all the times, <laughs> of like, why now? That's crazy. But so people are like, oh, you had a good safety net. Not great one. <laughs> I mean, you know, I know people have less, but still, um, and, and, and for weeks after I, I quit and I told my, my dad, especially, my mom struggled with it a little bit too, but not as much as my dad. Uh, they're separated, so um, for context. But he would be like, oh, so how is the job hunt going? I'm like, oh, I'm getting some clients. He's like, no, 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 like your real job. And I'm like, oh, this is my real job. He's like, until you get a real job, right? <laughs> he, like, he was so confused with, the, with like, the whole aspect of it. And and my mom, who, who really tried to get on board a lot earlier on, she was much more like, but what about insurance? And I'm like, oh, I pay my own insurance now. She's like, but what about insurance? And, <laughs> and, and that's been the hardest struggle. I think even still today, it blows her mind a little bit because, uh, you know, we're so, we have those golden handcuffs, people call it, you know, we have all those like benefits and stuff. But, you know, the way I finally had to describe it to like her, for instance, and even some of my other friends is saying, hey, look, I can, I make double if not triple what I, I used to in my salary position depending on the year and and I and I sure I pay a little bit more for insurance or my medical stuff or whatever but you know who cares it was it better to have you know a couple hundred dollar discount on your medical insurance because you're going through an employer and say goodbye to the extra hundred grand you're going to make as an entrepreneur the math doesn't math there you know I'd rather make a ton of money I don't need the discount on medical insurance I'll just pay for it it's fine <laughs> Yeah, ab absolutely. No, I think, yeah, I, I mean, it's a slightly different situation, I suppose, in the UK in that regard, but there's, oh, yeah, there's, really always, th that. But there's always something, whether it's pension or, you know, you, in the US, I think it's the 401k, you know, it's, it, there's, there's always something, isn't there? So, uh, so uh, okay, so how about AI? Do you, you mentioned AI earlier. Has that has that kind of raised its head in terms of what you do? Has it changed the way in which you work? Do you use it from a work point of view or from a, a proposal point of view? I'm guessing not from proposal. I don't personally. I've heard people say that um, for proposals specifically. I've heard people say they have been quite successful with that. In fact, I even say this every time I talk about it and I say it in my course too. I think AI chatbots specifically have their place in proposal writing. Um, they are specifically helpful if maybe English is not your first language or whatever language you're you know bidding in is not your first language. It can help you out with that a little bit, you know. Um, you know, Grammarly also works. That was before chatbots were popular and it's free, you know. But be really careful if you are going that route to customize your proposals because right now as a client, I'm just seeing a lot of really canned 
stuff that sounds exactly the same on Upwork. So if you are going that route, apps just use it as like a tool not to do all your homework for you because it, these proposals are becoming dangerously repetitive right now on the platform. I'm sure Jason's probably seeing some of that too. Um, yeah, no, definitely. From a job opportunity point of view, has there been any impact, do you, do you feel? Job opportunity, no. I haven't felt any difference personally. Um, you know, I, I, in fact, I see uh, increasing demand for people as well. It just kind of like I was talking about for every pot earlier. I seeing a lot of people say, um, look, I really want to hire writers who refuse to use AI. You know, um, you just, again, you got to find the people who are looking for you. you got to find your client. Um, but as far as like AI is concerned in general as an industry, I, I actually love the AI tools more that are not chatbots. Like the chatbots kind of annoy me personally. Don't hate me, whatever. <laughs> like, I, I think they're just not quite as smart as everyone gives them credit for. And I can write faster than I can edit a poorly written AI article personally. Um, but I, I actually am really into like the Photoshop generative AI tools. Yeah, like, those are yeah. in my world right now. And like what, you know, some of the, the folks over at Midjourney are able to do and Firefly and like those image generators, that's like amazing. And that's really improved my workflow. And my clients just think I literally perform magic now. I mean, it's pretty cool. So like, that's awesome. Um, so I'm a fan of AI as, as, as an industry. I think we pay too much attention to the chatbots and act like until a chatbot existed, AI didn't exist and that's all it means. <laughs> so, you know, don't, I'm sorry, I would say AI is great, um, you know, adopt it but don't, don't treat it as like a shortcut to your homework. There are no real shortcuts in, in this world. Um, you know, you still get to add that human, human touch to it. And, and also don't be afraid of it either. Again, you're going to find that lid for your pot and vice versa. Yeah, no, absolutely. Um, so if I was starting, go back to Upwork for a second, if, if I was starting on Upwork today as, say, a designer, how long do you think – it, it would be until someone could get to the point where they, they do replace an average salary, for instance. Obviously, you did it in three months. That was five years ago. you feel that's still possible today? It's about how fast you want to go. That's all it is. People always say, oh, what's fast? What's slow? You know, I've only earned this much in this many months. Is that flat faster? Is that slow? It's all about how much time you want to put into it. But, yeah, I mean, I'd say still today, if you put in the kind of time I was put into it, and I treated like – I treated proposals and client acquisition like it was my full-time job. I mean, that's what I did with my time. I didn't sit around and panic with my time. I got up every morning at roughly the same time. I sat down on my computer. I tried to find jobs. <laughs> you know, I researched yeah. how other people were finding jobs. That was think, my full-time job. Absolutely. I think obviously you were in that position where you had to do it. And I think there's something to be said for maybe putting yourself in that position. We're not saying, you know, rage quit or hand your notice in with no yeah, yeah. backup. We're definitely not advising that. But if you do find yourself in that position and you've got a little bit of a buffer, then I feel, you know, there's, there's a certain element of, yes, I have to get up every morning and do this. And it kind of forces your hand. And as long as you're probably, you know, taking those right steps and doing things correctly, then you're probably going to do okay. I feel that, you know, it, you have to, don't you, I suppose. So, uh, so where, where do you see yourself going uh next like what's the what's the end game for morgan um how far do you want to kind of take your online ventures world domination <laughs> yeah of course <laughs> no it's funny i i'll bring this totally full circle uh just, just bring it all the way back around again to put a nice little bow on it but you know i've always found i've always defined success as freedom um and being able to do my own thing on my own time and I certainly spent several years hustling, right? I spent, I feel like I hustled in my career and stressed myself out. And I felt like I, I hustled in those early days on the freelance and stressed myself out. And, and now I want to be a lazy, lazy freelancer. I want to like, I just want to work with just my favorite clients yeah. who are super easy to work with and just be a great freelancer for them. And I want to just blog when I feel like it. And, you know, and, and, that's, and that's the life I want to leave, lead. I just want to, get up when I want to most mornings, unless I got a podcast interview, you know, or like something, it's my second one today. So, <laughs> but that, that's, that's what I want. I want, I want to double down on that freedom, um, focus more on my health, my mental health, my physical health. I'm going to the gym every day, finally again, you know, for the first time this past year, I've like gone almost every single day. It's like big for me. I'm not a gym person, but you know, so that's what I want actually. And I feel like it's probably going to be a, a different answer than most people on this podcast. I think it's fascinating. I think, you know, yeah. yeah, absolutely. I think it is different for everyone. And I think there are so many crossovers, particularly 
with health and money and lifestyle, all of those things. And it is for for me as well. It's all about balance. And I think, you know, I think you'd be surprised actually at the answers we've had to that question. It it has been slightly different from everyone, but um, more people than not are kind of going, not necessarily with a, I want to get to this level of income and then just stop because Mm. that potentially is not healthy as well. So I think that's a a really interesting answer that you've given there. Um, We'll start to wrap things up. One of my questions I wanted to ask you is, do you think everyone is suited to working online or are there potentially people that, because I feel like from what you said, I suppose design is it, it's, it doesn't have to be online. Yeah. Is it, is it something that everyone is cut out to do? Cause it no. can be lonely. And, well, and I think that a lot of people don't want to do it. You know, like mm. I have a lot of friends that tell me on a near daily basis, so oh, I could never do what you do. And I always correct them. <laughs> you don't want to. So, you know, it, yeah. it I think it's just some people are going to like it better than others and we're going to flourish. I think it's mostly about what you want to do. You know, I think you can take somebody like me who didn't believe in it, you know, and it was a total layer just like 10 years ago, but this whole like entrepreneur online stuff, you know, I didn't believe it at all. I think you can convert somebody if, if their mind changes or the opportunity arises, you know, I think we, we have the possibility, the potential is in all of us. I think it really comes down though to personal preference and, and how you want to spend your time and, and invest your time. And final question then. So for someone that does want it, does want to be successful online, if you could give them just one tip, what would it be? Oh, want to be successful online? Just one tip. Ugh. Oh, I've got it. I got it. All right. My one tip would be um, to tune out all the people who are telling you all the reasons you can't do something because those people have probably failed. And listen to the people who have done the things that you want to do, because those people have succeeded. And I say that's that's just like not even online business, that's just like business and like life. Drown out the haters, drown out the people who are like, oh, you can't do this because I tried and I couldn't do it and you can't do this because, okay, whatever. I'm, this person did it, so I'm gonna listen to that person. So Great advice, great advice. So uh, just remind us then, Morgan, where we can find you. All right, so um, like I said, I'm very active. Get the list out. (laughs) Get the start. Let's write the list. (laughs) Oh yeah, yeah. So my my social media handle on everything is at Morgan O Media, but I am most active on on Twitter, of course. Um, And of course, you can also check my blog morganoverhold.com. And my course is available at morganoverhold.com/shop as our one-on-one consults. And don't forget about that discount code that I offered earlier. Um, that was affiliate school 20 for 20% off of a $20 course. I mean, come on, couldn't it be like any more affordable to uh, figure out how to immediately start sending better proposals on Upwork. Fantastic. So all those will be in the show notes. So make sure you go and check those out, guys. Morgan, it's been an absolute pleasure to have you on the podcast today. Really enjoyed it. I've learned quite a lot there about Upwork that I didn't know. Seeing it from the other side was really interesting for me. So thank you so much for coming on. Awesome. Thank you so much for having me.